this COVID that we see, it's just a fulfillment of prophecy. All the different things that we see are all the fulfillment of prophecy. But the beautiful thing is that we still, as human beings, have the opportunity to veer away from that, pick up what the Creator has provided for all of us, our language, our ceremonies, our ways of life, our ways of giving thanks. And in that way, then we worked for the continuation of all life. That's Dr. Dan Longboat, founding director of the Indigenous Environmental Science Studies Program at Trent University and the current director of Quality Assurance at the Indigenous Advanced Education and Skills Council. He's our guest today on the Akamemuk Podcast. I'm your host, Perry Belgard, National Chief of the Assembly of First Nations. Tawau and welcome to the Akamemuk Podcast. Akamemuk is Cree for you all persevere, or in other words, keep going and don't give up. On this podcast, we discuss the leading issues facing First Nations peoples with top experts, elders, and community leaders. And today, we're happy to have a guest that is all those things. He's a top expert, he's an elder, he's a community leader, a visionary for our people. Dr. Dan Longboat. Roroya Kewin. He clears the sky. Along with founding the Environment Indigenous Studies Program at Trent University, the first of its kind in North America, Dan has spent his life dedicated to First Nations issues, stressing the importance of learning from elders and knowledge holders as the foundation for identity, vision, and life purposes. So, a great big welcome to the Akamema podcast, Dan. Oh, yeah, well, thank you for that. So, Dagwin Horado Sewa Gwego, greetings everyone. Ayawashi Sewa Dakaride, Dana Sewatsununi, Dana Gwego Skano. And I hope that you are all healthy, happy, and at peace. So, Roroya Gewen Niyanketz, Kanyangehaga, Nyakyadoda, Waganyato Onora, Niwagita Rodo. Thank you so much for inviting me today, Perry. And, uh, you know, I, I extend greetings to everyone. So, uh, thank you. Awesome. Thank you for that, Dan. So, one of the things that we're facing right now, of course, is COVID. But it's all tied to the loss of biodiversity as well and extinctions of species, food security, climate change. How do our teachings about living in balance with the natural world help us to address these issues? Oh, that's a that's a great question. And uh, one of the unique pieces, I think, with uh, our knowledge system as Indigenous peoples is that we tend to, in every aspect of it, indigeneity around the world, uh, you know, shares the same uh, focus is that we tend to look at things as a system. Mm-hmm. We look at things in its entirety in terms of both the seen and the unseen world. And I think that, uh, you know, coming to understand that the complexity of the natural world that we're in and looking at how everything is tied together, how everything is all connected, not just in how it functions, not just in the ecological function, as you mentioned, around biodiversity and the loss of it, but how it's connected through time, through the formation of cells and how everything works uh, through our, and our great ancestors had a, had a fundamental understanding of that. You know, when we talk about Indigenous knowledge, it's, I think it's important to realize that, you know, in contrast to what we hear, you know, from uh, anthropologists and ethnologists, etc., that tell us about Oh, our people learn by trial and error, you know, living in a place for a very long period of time, able to amass a, a huge amount of knowledge. No question that part of that is right, that our people living in place for a very long period of time have, a, have amassed a lot of, uh, a huge amount of knowledge about the environment, both the seen and the unseen world. And really, it, it's that knowledge then 
it didn't come through trial and error. You know, the oral tradition tells us that our ancestors, their minds were so good and their hearts were so pure that they could actually go to creation. And it was creation, all of the elements within the natural world that were given the instructions to help us as the human beings and our great ancestors actually talked to them. They manifested themselves in dreams and visions or became physical uh, beings and they talked to us about whatever it is that we needed. Mm -hmm. That's where they came to us and they would help us. When our people got sick, they said, here's the medicines. When our people were hungry, here's the food. When our people needed to give thanks, here's the way of giving thanks. So throughout time, all of creation, our creator, all of the different ancestors and our beings have come to us and helped us. And so when we think about that in terms of now, uh, you know, being faced with COVID and looking at the, the complexity of it, science is just coming to understand, you know, how all of these things are, are interconnected with one another. But our elders and our knowledge holders still have that knowledge and still are able to be able to make that a, a reality for us. And so it's really critically important that science begin a, a process of engaging with Indigenous peoples to really understand the complexity of the world that we live in, in both the seen and the unseen world. You know, many of them, you know, won't, won't have the capacity to understand that at that depth. But there are a few enlightened individuals amongst them that, you know, have that capacity. They will become the leaders of their people, uh, just like our own leaders have. But again, it's premised on a way of understanding and a way of engaging with the world around us so that it's critically important. So when we talk about COVID, COVID is just kind of one step along our pathway as human beings that was uh, that was in our prophecies that was telling us of what was going to come into the future. That's a good segue to the next question I was going to ask you. We look at the environment around us now. We see all the, the big winds. We see the big fires that are happening, the floods. Things are changing in the world and our environment. How does that fit with some of our elders' prophecies and teachings going forward? You know, as uh, you had mentioned in uh, your introduction, that you know, one of the key elements, and I can't stress this enough, is that uh, is the engagement with the elders and knowledge keepers and understand, you know, that uh, seek to understand, you know, that the, the, the world around us, everything that we're going to need to be able to survive has been provided for us. And when we look at, you know, all the things that we have as Indigenous peoples, and in particular, when we, you know, and I'll use, and again, I, I can't speak of any other nations of people, but when we look at our teachings as the Haudenosaunee, mm-hmm. um, the people of the Longhouse, uh, the people of the of the the six nations. Uh, when we look at our um, our teachings and our language and the things that we've been provided for, you know, there's a it's really a there's a complete understanding of the world. And so when we look at those things and begin to understand, you know, over a, a, a cultural chronology of time, whatever the human beings faced uh, at a particular time, uh, it was. Uh, our creator, it was uh, creation, like the natural world that came forward to provide us for the knowledge that we needed to be able to survive. And it came to us again, as we talked about earlier, in dreams and visions and manifestations of those beings themselves that they talked to us. And it came, uh, it manifested itself in all the different aspects of, of our life around us, at plants, birds, animals, uh, they came to us and they taught us about how to be. So as that process, you know, kind of began to engage, they also provided us with our ceremonies, our ways of giving thanks, our ways of being able to exist in, in the world. And again, you know, be clear on this, that we were not in a position where we were living in a, in a subsistence way of life. Our nations were civilizations that flourished, mm-hmm. that before coming to the, before the coming of the Europeans, 
all of our nations, you know, tied together, we flourished as, as indigenous peoples living in place. And so when we go back and we begin to see these prophecies and the things that were happening uh, for us as, as the Six Nations people, as Haudenosaunee, we go back and we can lean on and, and, and become aware of the teachings of uh, one of our great uh, teachers. Uh, we refer to him as Skanyat Dario. Skanyat Dario, it means a, a beautiful water or a beautiful lake. And uh, so that kind of got translated because he was a man in, uh, in terms of Handsome Lake. So he's known as Handsome Lake. So Handsome Lake uh, was visited by uh, four beings. He was on his deathbed. He was uh, really low in, in life. He was an alcoholic uh, in the time of about 1790. And uh, over that time in his deathbed, as he began thinking about the creator, what, I really love this story, you know, and I wish I had more time to talk about it. But in the, in the, in the revelation of that, he began thinking in his sickness and how poorly he had lived his life. And he was a, a title holder, so he was a he he, he was a, a leader, a chief within his family, a Riani. And so that title then, and him laying there, he began to think about how he wasted his life and how uh, sorry he was of that. And he began to think of the Creator day in and day out, even though his life was really at a pivotal uh, point. They, they all his family just made a, a bed for him. Then they would just waited for him to die. He was that sick. So. Handsome Lake, uh, over that period of time, began to think about the creator, the four beings in our understanding of it, the four beings that look after us as the human beings that came to him, and they provided with him uh, a series of visions. In those visions, then, they told him about what was going to come into the future. And they said that human beings have the opportunity to make a choice in the world. You want to walk on this way of life that's big and wide and flat, and lots of people have walked on it, or they want to walk on another pathway that is narrow and steep. And only a few people have been able to walk on that in footprints of many children. But they say that that one leads to the one place of kind of darkness, and it leads to pain, hardship, and suffering. And lots of people have gone down that road. Or else the other one that the, the creator has provided for us, they call it the creator's path. That pathway leads to health, happiness, peace, love, joy. So he said, you know, we have a choice of what we want to do. And because so many people have chosen the wide pathway, the pathway that leads to pains, hardship, and suffering, there's many markers along the way that tells you you're on the wrong road. And one of the things that they talked about is all of these environmental issues that we see along mm -hmm. the road, trees dying from the top down, unable to drink the water, the extinctions of certain birds and animals, how plants would stop, how the earth would heat up and that would draw its power back in and how things wouldn't grow and how human beings wouldn't be able to survive. They talked about sickness and diseases that were like globes that were hanging in the air and that at certain times it would fall upon the earth and we would have many deaths amongst the human beings and we would have strange deaths of people you know, dying for no reason healthy one minute and then the next minute on the ground uh, bleeding from their orifices. So he talked about all these different things that were coming with the idea that uh, he, and they didn't say one was good and one was bad. They said, if you continue to do this and wait and, and maintain this way of life or to do these particular actions, these are the things that will happen to you. And then they said, go back and tell your relatives. And so those teachings that have been provided by Handsome Lake then have, have been codified, I guess, in an in a oral tradition that every fall uh, our peoples come together and listen to the, they call it convention, 
they listen to the renditions of the teachings of Handsome Lake. Mm. And so um, that, you know, is a common occurrence amongst us as the Haudenosaunee, but it continually tells us about, you know, what's going to happen into the future. And and again, it takes us down a particular roadway uh, of uh, of how we want to live in the world and with the choices that we want to make. And so these this COVID that we see, it's just a fulfillment of prophecy. Mm-hmm. All the different things that we see are all the fulfillment of prophecy. But the beautiful thing is that we still, as human beings, have the opportunity to veer away from that, pick up what the Creator has provided for all of us, our language, our ceremonies, our ways of life, our ways of giving thanks. And in that way, then we work for the continuation of all life. Right on. That's uh, the power of choice to make good choices going forward and even thinking seven generations down the road. Now, COVID-19, this isn't the first pandemic First Nations people have faced, you know, in the past, you know, smallpox, everything else. But are there lessons that that can we learn from the devastating pandemics from the past? Yes, uh, that's a really good point as well. Uh, I think that in uh, in so many different cases, our people, you know, when we see the great uh, the Holocaust that has been put on Indigenous peoples, in particular, you know, throughout the world, but in particular in North America and coming of colonization. We've seen that, you know, the decimation of, and some people talk about, you know, 30, 40, 50% of the population was decimated. Some people are really much more accurate in their estimations that 70, 80, up to 90% of our peoples, you know, were decimated by previous pandemics from the common cold uh, all the way to smallpox to tuberculosis. One of the most recent ones for us was the Spanish uh, fever, you know. So all these different things have been impacting us over a very long period of time. It's us kind of going back to working with our own medicine people to look at what are the necessary medicines that need to be employed to maintain our health throughout these particular pandemics and realizing that, you know, many people turned our nose away from traditional medicines. But, you know, from what I've seen and its own impact in my life, you know, I've seen it as a, as a very, as a positive and necessary piece. It's not just the medicine that you take as well, but it's also the ceremony that goes with it. Mm-hmm. It's also your frame of mind and your connection to and your extension of gratitude to all the natural world and to the creator and all of our ancestors and the spiritual world as well. So it's those things that are all tied together that manifest themselves in health. And again, you know, when you go back in our histories and our collective histories as Indigenous peoples, they have always returned back to those things. And those are the things that have maintained our well-being and our health throughout time. And that's the reason that you and I and so many other Indigenous peoples are still here today because our great grandfathers and our grandmothers and their grandfathers and their grandmothers lean so heavily upon those things to protect us throughout time. Mm. They prayed for us and they strengthened us and they protected us. And so nature the same way and creation the same way and those ancestors and those spirit beings that helped our ancestors so long time ago at the very first footprints of the human beings are still there waiting for us to be able to talk with them and give thanks to them and honor them and ask them for help that's powerful teaching that echoes even uh, right across turtle island for sure um you often speak, Dan, about the impact of our decisions on the welfare of our peoples, the impact of these decisions on, on Mother Earth, on creation, on water, animals, birds, uh, you know, dealing with COVID-19. And one of the things as well uh, involved with the Great Reset and working with uh, uh, His Royal Highness uh, Prince Charles, you know, trying to balance the environment, the economy again, and 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 trying to use our in, things we just talked about, our Indigenous knowledge and our teachings of our elders how can we use that indigenous knowledge to help reset our global economy as we go 
live past COVID-19 going forward? I think when you look at the kind of worldview of our distinct nations, you know, we all share so many similar understandings of us as beings and what are the essential elements of our being. And so we look at that, you know, in, in some instances, they refer to the mental, physical, spiritual, and emotional. Mm-hmm. When you look at that and translate that into kind of into society in general, and you see, you know, economic, political, social, environmental, et cetera, uh, you'll see then one of the element parts that are missing within the, that that kind of application of that is, is, the, uh, is an understanding of the West uh, around spirit. And I, I think that's the part that they're going to never really get to. I mean, if it's only a focus on economy or only a focus on environment, while those two things are inextricably tied together mm-hmm. and mutually dependent on one another, my, the point is, is that without the imbuing spirit, without the understanding the necessity of, I like to refer to it as uh, revitalizing human spiritual integrity, without the revitalization of human spirituality, we're never going to get to the higher consciousness of how we function as human beings in the world around us. We will always be faced with the mere uh, facts of subsistence. And that's what uh, economy is really all about. While some flourish, most of the world is tied into mere subsistence daily. How many of us are tied to, you know, just as an example, living in in North America, uh, how many are tied uh, of us are tied as wage earners to check after check? And if that check ever stopped, you know, what would happen to the rest of us, you know? So uh, the idea behind it is that we have to go past that and we have to address all of the, the complexity of all of the issues that we see and see our life as a systems process rather than just looking at individual uh, areas to be able to fix up without understanding the whole, we're never going to get to be able to really enjoy uh, a flourishing of life the way the creator intended us to be. And the only way for them to do that is to go back to connect with our elders and our knowledge mm. and to be able to have our, our, our way of thinking brought not as an add on, but really as the foundation about how to live in the world, mm. because it has sustained us as human beings right from the very beginning and allowed our people to flourish. That's a good segue to my next question about the importance of, of balance and education going forward. You know, a lot of our elders used to say, now as First Nations people, Indigenous peoples, as Cree people, Nehawak people, we need two systems of education. I used to always wonder about that, you know, kindergarten or grade 12 and aunt university, tech folk. And then they talk about equally important are your 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 languages and your ceremonies, your traditions on the other hand. And, and like now you've got your doctorate degree. So there's a role for the academic role and its role of indigenous education, culturally based education, supporting our institutes across the country, indigenous institutes. But you also founded at Trent University, the Indigenous Environmental Science Studies Program. What was the catalyst to do that? And what challenges did you face? And how did you balance those two systems of education that a lot of our elders still talk about when you brought about that program? You know, this idea of kind of, uh, I want to call it like a bicultural education, I, I think, um, you know, the danger becomes then, you know, you become like 50% in one and 50% in another, you know, anybody that can go past, uh, you know, 100% of our, of our being as, as, a, as a human being, they're the ones that walk on water, they're not the ones that are, you know, walking amongst us as just plain human beings. Mm. So if we look at 100, and we begin to think about that, this bicultural education piece, we have to know a part of this and a part of that, you know, over these last many years, uh, I've you know come to the realization that the foundational knowledge piece 
really starts with, as you mentioned, our language, our ceremonies, our history, our prophecies, our medicines, our, our ways of life. Mm-hmm. They have been, that's the, that's the foundation that we need to build upon and whatever we can engage with, with other knowledge systems in the not an add and stir knowledge systems, but a, a very strategic process that enables us to strategically select elements from the West or from other cultures around the world that we can bring together to be able to be of use to help sustain and to perpetuate and to restore the quality of life of, of that our ancestors have provided for us and that the creator has provided for us. That's the essential part of it. And it's really not just borrowing from the West, not just borrowing from traditional academic sources, but looking at how do we bring all of the, the knowledge systems around the world together in a collaborative, mutually respectful, mutually beneficial way. And it, and it, to me, you know, uh, your symbols as an example, you know, the uh, Neheo people, the uh, Anishinaabeg peoples, the Lakotas, you know, that have that medicine wheel. And if the reflection of that and looking at the application of and the many layers of knowledge that are associated with that, you know, kind of reduce that in, in just one aspect of it. If that represents the four sacred colors of human beings, as a fulfillment of prophecies within our teachings as the Haudenosaunee, it talks about there will come a time that all four sacred colors of human beings will come back together. You will determine then whether life will continue or not. That's mm-hmm. in our creation teaching. Mm-hmm. And the coming together of, of those four sacred colors has been the only depiction of collaborative diversity coming together to create a positive change in the world. And until we actually get there, all of our world is going to be based primarily on a Western perspective that has, you know, and again, no disrespect to the West at all, but that has caused many of the problems that we see around us now. Mm-hmm. I mean, uh, as you, we started out talking about, you know, sickness and diseases, these sicknesses and diseases, while many of them have manifested and that through a natural processes, the point of it is, is that they have been set up because of the failure of water, uh, air, uh, biological life or, or biodiversity and our disrespect for those things manifesting themselves in sickness and diseases and viruses that are now being channeled all around the world and impacting all of us. Mm. So when we start to think about, you know, that knowledge system, it needs to be predicated, everything built on our traditional knowledge system. And then think of that as tools and techniques that we can use along the way to be able to help us move their, our agenda along. Yeah. So, you know, just as an example, hopefully it won't take long, but, you know, when we look at water and we look at, you know, something simple, something so simple, but at the same time, something so essential for life, we pick up a a thing of water, we look at it, we say, oh, look at, that's clear, you know, it smells good, oh, tastes good, Uh, I guess this water is okay. But when we do a broad spectrum analysis on that water and we utilize technology to do that and we find out there's cadmium, heavy metals, you know, uh, there's uh, carcinogens in that water that we can't taste, smell, or see, and but that's the, what we're feeding to our elders, our our coming generations. Mm-hmm. That's what we're f- providing for them. So then the question then becomes: Is there a technology then that we can use to be able to um, purify that water? Well, yes, there is. We can remove all of those things to be able to purify that water. And is that good enough then that we, that we just settle it there? No. We have to purify it for everything else that depends on water. 
and we have to then go back to the source of what's causing those uh, pollutants or those toxins or contaminants in the water in the first place and eliminate that so that the water can that the water and the earth can clean itself so that process then becomes a systems way of thinking about it but everybody is so i shouldn't say everybody oftentimes the west is so focused on one piece of that puzzle that they lose sight of all of the integrity of all of the rest of the pieces our knowledge systems as as indigenous peoples is focused on the wholeness of that everything's got to fit the system we're all connected in that world and our worldview you know one of the points that yeah it's it's amazing when you talk about the the respect you have for different nations and teachings and uh, you know things that belong to different nations and tribes like uh, i know you're referring to the medicine wheel you know and the, and the colors the the black and the yellow and the white and the red you know representing and this is a dakota lakota nakota teaching as well right in terms of uh, representing the four races of man you know the four colors of man so i just wanted to just point that out just so people listening will wonder what we were talking about we we're talking about the medicine wheel and and the four colors those sacred colors representing uh, the four races and tribes of man and uh, just uh, just amazing though like the sensitivity and the respect you have for the different teachings we have amongst our different tribes it's so inspiring to be able to spend time you know with people that have a deep appreciation and respect for that and that's the that's the really to me that's the what really gives us strength i think the idea behind it is that our education now is changing and our you know our the fear that we have had and the trauma that we've had we're dealing with that we're dealing with the fear and our our education systems are coming forward elders are coming into the classrooms you know our books are changing you know our experiences and our ability to engage with our languages our cultures that's changing and you know 50 years ago we never thought that was possible today it's commonplace in most of our schools to be able to have medicines or to be able to have elders or teachers or grandparents come into class so i'm really hopeful of the future but uh, you know maybe again at some point uh, perry you could think about that you know there it might be a good opportunity to you know bring even a couple people together in a podcast to be able to talk about education and the the changing nature of education and the importance of that and at the same time the fearlessness that our people's need and being able to really grab onto education to be able to change it uh, to suit our needs rather than looking at you know continuing on the same dysfunction that we're looking at yeah um well look look at our, the the need to support our own institutions like in Saskatchewan, we got the First Nations University of Canada. Well, it started out in 1976, and there were seven First Nations there. Then I got there in 1980. There made maybe about 30 of us on campus, you know, so it grew. It, it's starting to go, right? Like our, having our own educational mm-hmm. institutions. But that was the first time where uh, uh, elders were used in a university setting. You know, James Iron Eagle, Willie Pegan, uh, Jim Ryder, all of these old elders. And how that's where that two systems come in, you know, like the importance of language and ceremony. They were basically dealing with colonization and the genocide of residential schools in their own way. And they, but they weren't, they didn't even need to say it. They were just doing it. Yeah. I know for us, like we, we did the same thing. And when I was, you know, at, at Trent, I went to Trent in back in the seventies and way back when indigenous studies just started, it, it emerged out of anthropology and then it became a back, actually its own discipline. That's when they started to bring in elders in. They brought in people from all across the country. They brought in uh, Ernest Atusis. Oh, yeah. He was a there. Maker. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. One of the Lightnings, the old Albert man Lightning. Lightning. Albert Lightning. Or, or, Albert Lightning. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. We're strong medicine people. The guys that, you know, used, would come out. We'd, pe- we'd get people from all, all different nations that would come out and be able to spend time with us. 
that was the changing element for a lot of us young guys way back then, young, young men and women way back then in the 70s that began a process of change for us with, with that cultural knowledge that we were, uh, I guess, really given at the university, really kind of embedded in it. And I think out of that small group of people, there was probably about 21 or 22 of us, I think, at the time that came from across Canada to go to school there. I think every one of them, maybe saving except for one or two that didn't make it because of elements that happened to them that took their life, every one of them has worked for their people. Mm -hmm. uh, so to me, that kind of that understanding that's embedded within culture raises you up and strengthens you and gives you the perseverance to be able to work for your people. And, mm -hmm. and again, probably yourself is a good example of that. You could have chosen to do any one of different careers anywhere, made a whole lot more money, you know, done a lot of other things, uh, but you've chosen because of your, those traditional teachings that somebody mm -hmm. gave you somewhere have impacted you to choose to be able to work for your people. Yeah. At the end of the, and you know, and you've taken the lumps for that over a period of time, as you very well know it. I mean, that's the nature of politics. That's politics. But the idea behind it is that energe energetically speaking, there is no higher service, no higher frequency that we can be as human beings than to be a, a, of service to one another. is a Cree word, and it means servant or helper. And a lot of our old people back home said in leadership, that's all you are. Exactly. Yep. So in terms of, again, all the good work that you've done at the Environmental Science Studies Program at Trent and the challenges that you have there. And then in light of all the things that have happened in the world from COVID-19 and you see a lot of the things happening currently with the racism and discrimination and the police brutality towards our people. And from your perspective now, what gives you hope thinking about the future for your children, your grandchildren? and um, what, what, what makes you feel like there's things can change or things can get better? What gives you hope? That's a really good question. And, a, and I think it's a, a good question to close on. As I mentioned to you earlier, what's really unique in understanding the nature of indigenous knowledge, this is not knowledge that people sat around unlike the West. And, you know, it came out of the minds of men and women. It came out of the human mind. Uh, and in particular, the West predicated on the minds of white men. Um, and only men, uh, and that knowledge. So that Descartes, Locke, Hobbes, all the different, you know, Aristotle, Socrates, all of those people that are noted, you know, as uh, brilliant minds of the West are all men. Our knowledge then didn't come out of the minds of men and women, out of the minds of human beings. Our knowledge came out of creation, came out of the spirit world. And it's our engagement with, this, with spirit that then has provided for us all of the things necessary for us to be able to, to survive and to live and to flourish as human beings, to live a full, beautiful life. And I love the way, you know, uh, your people talk about that as Mino uh, Bumadzawin, uh, uh, like a beautiful life. Um, to look at that and to understand that, that knowledge and the goals of that, you know, have all been precipitated and have come from, from spirit. And the ways of being able to achieve that have come from spirit. And so our connection then to spirit and our, our engagement with that has, has enabled our great ancestors to provide a culture and a way of life and practice that we have transmitted throughout the generations, through thousands of generations of, of Indigenous peoples to where we are right now. And that knowledge still continues to exist. Sometimes it's a bit degraded and a bit changed over a period of time, but the essential knowledge is still there. 
all of the elements that gave our great ancestors tens of thousands of years ago, thousands of generations of human beings ago, the, the, those beings that, that gave us that knowledge are still there. Those trees, those birds, those animals, the spirit beings, the ancestors, all the different things that exist are still there. And they're waiting for us to be able to go to them and greet them and to give them thanks that they have sustained our people throughout time and they have continued to provide it and that they're still here with us. And we would hope that they would continue to be here into the future. And now all we have to do is ask them for help. And uh, what I do, you know, before I, I always do my classes and I would urge everybody to kind of understand and kind of maybe employ some of these if it would be a benefit to you is to ask that, uh, ask creation, ask our spirit beings, ask those helpers, ask the, our ancestors, ask the creator, help me now, give me in my mind the right, the right thinking, put in my mouth the right words, give me the right power and strength to be able to do the work so that we can continue to live. Help me, help them, help life continue. Because at the end of the day, it's all about the continuation of life, not just human beings' life, everything that exists within the world, the animals, the birds, the trees, the water, the fish, all the things that exist, the sun, the moon, the stars, everything that is there working as I love the way my, uh, my teacher, the late Jake Swamp would talk about that. He says, imagine all of the elements in the natural world, he says, as members of one big family, all working together for the continuation of life. It's like, oh man, how beautiful is that? And so our way of life as indigenous peoples and our ability to connect with them is still there. What's lacking is our own capacity to be able to engage with them. And our, the fear that maybe that exists within all of us is to be able to engage with them and ask them for help. But when we ask, and here's the point of, of hope, but when we ask them for help, they're the ones that stand up all around us. Our ancestors are all the spirit beings, the trees, the birds, the animals, all of creation stands up behind us. And they're the ones that are helping us as the human beings, because why? We're working for the continuation of life. They look at us and say, that's the human being. Let us help him or her to be able to achieve what it is that they need to do so that they can work for the continuation of life. And so when we walk into anywhere, and yourself included in this, Understand that when we walk into anywhere, we're not just representing ourselves or our family or even our nation. We're representing all of creation and they stand up behind us and give us power and strength. There is no power on earth that can stand in our way when we have asked for and are imbued with that kind of support and strength and power. Yeah. What a what a strong, powerful, hopeful message to conclude with. Roroya Gawin, he clears the sky. Dr. Dan Longboat, Nyongoa, Kananaskomten. Thank you so much for being on our Akamema podcast. Oh, yeah. Thank you for the invitation and Sadat Nigunrat. Take care of your mind. And I want to thank all the people for listening to the Akamema podcast. If you enjoyed it, please subscribe so you don't miss future episodes. Give us a rating and tell your friends about us on social media. And as always, we want to give a big shout out to the Red Dog Singers of the Treaty 4 Territory in Southern Saskatchewan for providing our theme music. Until next time, I'm Perry Belgard, National Chief of the Assembly of First Nations. Hey!